On episode 155, I have my first ever experience with a series that I had never heard of before. The series has gone through several iterations. Having been published first under the series name Boyfriends, Girlfriends, starting in 1994, then being renamed Making Out, and then, finally, being reissued in 2015 as The Islanders. It's a little confusing, but here's what's not. Today, my guests and I chat about the first book in the series, whatever you want to call it, which is entitled Zoe Fools Around. The book was written by Katherine Applegate, a Newbery Medal winner whom my fellow millennials may also recognize as the author of Animorphs. Zoe Fools Around introduces us to the teenage population of Chatham Island, a tourist destination off the coast of Maine that is pretty sleepy in the off-season. Our leading lady, Zoe, has been dating her boyfriend, Jake, for a few years, but she doesn't seem quite sure how she feels about him. Jake is still reeling from the death of his brother, who was killed in a drunk driving accident for which a boy named Lucas is allegedly responsible. As the book opens, Lucas is back home from serving his time, and Zoe is interested. I'm sure you can imagine what might happen next. Throughout the novel, we also get peeks into the personal, social, and even legal dramas of supporting characters Benjamin, Claire, Nina, Aisha, and Chris. The book almost makes you feel like you're part of their Islander clique. In this episode, we draw parallels between Zoe Fools Around and teen TV dramas of the same period, including Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, and The O.C. Even if you haven't read the book, I think these comparisons will go a long way to help situate you in the world of Chatham Island. My guest and I also discuss our feelings about the phrase fools around and the position this book seems to take on sex, the directness with which Katherine Applegate handles race relative to other YA authors during this period, why we love 90s writing, the blurred lines between the good guys and the bad guys, and some seriously annoying boys will be boys nonsense. My guest also shares what she discovered about how this series informed her own writing, which is pretty cool. My guest today is author Casey Dembowski, the author of contemporary romance When We're 30. She loves to write stories that focus on the intricacies of relationships, whether they be romantic, familial, or platonic. Casey lives in New Jersey with her husband, daughter, and their two cats. She has an MFA in fiction from Adelphi University and spends her days working in corporate communications. In her limited spare time, she enjoys reading, baking, and watching her favorite television shows on repeat. Learn more about Casey's work at www.caseydembowski.com and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Casey underscore Dembowski. Thanks so much, Casey, for spending some time with me and for introducing me to this series. Speaking of thanks, I, as always, have so many other people to thank for continuing to help me keep SSR going strong. Thanks to everyone who has left a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everyone who has led or participated in our SSR book clubs. Thanks to everyone who shared about the podcast, either on social media or in real life. Thanks to everyone who has joined the Patreon family and taken a super active role in supporting the pod. I appreciate each and every one of you so much. While we're talking about Patreon, I want to remind you that the option is always there for you to come on board as a patron for as little as a dollar per month. In fact, for the month of August only, patrons at the $1 level will have the chance to join the monthly Patreon party, which is usually reserved for $5 and $10 patrons. We're going to discuss We Are the Babysitter's Club, a book edited by episode 152 guests Megan Milks and Marissa Crawford, and it's going to be so fun. Other SSR Patreon perks include newsletters, bonus episodes, video reading recaps, SSR swag, and so much more. Learn more and join the literal party at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Even if you decide not to join us in the Patreon party, there's still lots of fun to be had on social media, so come check it out if you haven't already. 
SSR is at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community. I can't wait to hang out with you there. Especially back in my New York City days, one of my favorite places to hang out with pals was the independent bookstore down the street from my apartment in Brooklyn. Books are magic. I miss those hangs all the time, and I'm very excited that there's a new indie bookseller opening on my new block here in Philadelphia in just a few months. I love supporting indies whenever possible, and Libro FM offers all of us a great way to do that, even if we don't have easy access to an indie bookshop. With Libro FM, you can support independent bookstores instead of giant corporations when you shop for audiobooks. The audiobooks are exactly the same as the ones you would get from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Head on over to Libro FM right now and grab audio editions of the books that are still left on your summer TBR. Happy reading! Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Casey. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you for having me. So you have introduced me to a series that I guess I'm sort of ashamed to say that I have actually never heard of. And I did a little bit of research and I discovered that the series has had several names. I don't know if you know this, but it was originally called the Boyfriend's Girlfriend series, which is so funny. And then it became the Making Out series, which is what it's called on the edition that I actually read. And then in 2015, they re-released the first eight books in the series under the title The Islanders. I did know about the the 2015 re-release because I remember finding it and I was like, I have to send this to my goddaughter who was like a teenager at the time. And uh, I remember I bought her, I think, the, the first one, which was the first two books. Right, because they're omnibuses now. That's what I saw. They released like pairs of them. But I think when you suggested this book to me, you suggested it as like the Making Out series, book one, Zoe Fools Around. And so that must be what you know the series as. And again, since I'm coming to this with very little personal experience or information about this series, I'm going to throw it over to you to chat a little bit about your experience with it, why you wanted to revisit it, and just like all the things about boyfriends, girlfriends, making out, islanders, whatever you want to call it today. Great. Well, I will say I found this book series making out when I was probably 13. I was 12 or 13. It was that kind of age where uh, we were just old enough to take the bus to the mall. Nice. And that was like the cool thing to do. So we would take the bus to the mall every weekend. And uh, I think we had a Walden books at our mall. Oh, stop it with the Walden books. Those were the best. And uh, I remember finding it. And I mean, when you're 12 and 13, a book called Making Out with the title Zoe Fools Around is super scandalous, right? (laughs) So yeah, I mean, there are 28 books in this series. And I was looking into it a little bit too, because it, it was a while ago. And I think the first like 
eight were released at one, well, I guess re-released since they had already been out in 1994 before then at once. And then they came out once a month. And I remember them coming out once a month because I would go to the mall, I would buy the book, I'd come home, I'd read it in a day and then have to wait an entire month for the next book for 28 books. That sounds like such a fun ritual. Yeah. So I think when, you know, when I saw your podcast and I was thinking about which books I would want to talk about, this one was quick to come to mind because it wasn't just one book, right? And it it was at that time in your life that's so, I feel like that age, like seventh and eighth grade for me was like a really big time. It was where I was, you know, really connecting with the people who are still my my best friends now. And I was getting into writing. And I think this was actually probably technically the first romance book I ever read. <laughs> it was pre-Dawson's Creek. So it's just this kind of time capsule for me. And reading it, you can kind of see like how those teen shows came from books like this. Yeah, so I have so many notes about like the OC and One Tree Hill and like characters in the book that remind me of characters from those shows. And I love what you said about this as a time capsule. I mean, the cover alone is such a time capsule, at least the edition that I have. Yes. It's like the most 90s thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't wait to post a picture of it on on SSR's Instagram feed because it's just like so 90s in a way that just makes me so happy. And the writing, I mean, even though I didn't read this book itself when I was a kid, something about the writing and the way that the author describes things, it took me back to a lot of books, other books from this era that I loved. Like, I don't I don't know quite what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But there's something about the way she writes that I think is very specific to the YA of the time and just gave me like all kinds of warm fuzzies there. That was, I think, one of the first things I wrote I wrote down when I started reading it is it's in this, you know, books today, both YA and even contemporary books, they're very in the moment and they're very in the head of the character for the most part, I find. And this book is pretty much a a distant, if not omniscient third, which I don't think you see a lot in, in books today. Um, And it had that feel of like, these are the books I was reading when I was becoming a writer. Uh, yes, I love that so much. It's so special. And you're right. I do think the the trend or sort of the convention in 2021 with YA especially is a first person perspective. And there's something about this third person perspective, third person POV that it, it's like a totally different experience. And it's so funny because I think sometimes we, and, and I can say this both as a reader and as a writer, I think sometimes we sort of underestimate what a huge impact that POV choice can have. And sometimes even when I'm reading a book, I don't always feel like I'm actively aware of what the perspective is. But then I'm like, but it felt different. And this book feels different. And I think you're right. It's because it has this omniscient vibe. We're switching between perspectives. There's these like, you know, this like source material. We have uh, like journal entries and a newspaper article and like handwritten notes in class and like a pro con list. Like I love elements like that. And you don't get that in a first person narrative. Yeah. And there's just this this distance from the characters. You're not, you know, in their head, I think, as much as you are in other books. Um, I think a lot of YA fantasy books have kind of that like third person multi-character arcs. I mean, I mean, my first thought would be like the Shadowhunter Chronicles, but even that you're more 
with those characters than I think you are in this, in, in this series. And once I kind of got used to that, I was like fully back in. But at first I was like, this is so strange. Like you can read it and be like, wow, this was written in the 90s. Yeah, I kind of love it. I was very into it. So let's talk about the, the title first, because the title is also very 90s. It's called, again, Zoe Fools Around. You know, it is, but it has like this huge lead in on the cover. That's like part of the title. Yeah, okay. So here it is. I'll try to read it in a dramatic way. And it's worth noting that all of the names are in pink and all of the words that are not names are in white. And every book has this. Oh, every book has it. This is like a Mm -hmm. convention for the series. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be dramatic. Ben heard it first and he told Nina, who told Claire not to tell. But now everybody except Jake knows. And Claire's wondering if she ought to say something because Jake ought to know that dot, dot, dot. Zoe fools around. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I try to imagine, you know, being 12 and, and being like, oh, I'm going to pick up this book series called Making Out. And it's <laughs> around on the cover. I mean, it's just, it's such a great marketing ploy. Yeah. And because these are clean. I mean, they're, they're not the YA of today. Like, you know, they, the characters are not really doing anything. Yeah. And yet I would have felt like I had to like hide this from my parents if I was reading it at the beach because like the cover, I think the cover is like the sexiest part about the whole book. Yes. It's, it's definitely a scandalous cover. And the title, I mean, okay. So the phrase fools around, I feel like is very of the time. Yes. It's not really a phrase that I've heard recently. And it's so interesting because I have this like gut reaction to it as like, as somebody who wants, like, I don't know. And there are moments throughout the book, and maybe we'll get to them, where I really questioned, like, the author's perspective on sex. And I hate to use the word or the phrase sex positivity because I feel like it's all over The Bachelorette right now. It's like Katie Thurston, the sex positive bachelorette. But I, I was struggling to decide, like, if I felt like this book is trying to take, like, a sex positive stance. And, and there is no, like, actual sex in it. But I, there's a lot of references to, like, obviously making out and like being in relationships and like the boys like all they can think about is sex um which is a whole other conversation but I just like couldn't wrap my head around like if the author had a clear sense of like the depiction of sex and sexuality that she was trying to put forth and so that makes my feelings about the title kind of complicated I don't know why yeah I mean and I think it it is a very provocative title for a book that I think skirts that kind of teen issue. Mm-hmm. Zoe and Jake in the book supposedly have been together since they were 13 and they are 17. Yeah. And they haven't even said, I love you. It's very uh, Marissa Cooper and Luke in the OC, like the perfect couple. They've been together for a long time. And yet like when we meet Marissa season one, episode one, like they still haven't had sex, but they've been together forever. Yeah. So like similar vibe for those looking for, you know, grounding in these characters if you haven't read the book. That was, I think, a surprising thing to go back to me because I think when you read YA today, it's more tuned into the actual teenage experience in a way treats teens the way they're supposed to be treated as these people, young adults who are falling in and out of love and learning who they are. And there's a lot of that in here. But at the same time, I was really surprised that at a four years together, they they hadn't said I love you. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like when I was in middle school, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I was like, I was not in relationships really when I was in middle school. Like it took me a really long time to get comfortable dating, like going out with people or whatever. But from my memory of like my friends who had middle school boyfriends and girlfriends, it was like two weeks in, you love each other. Like we love each other right away. And so <laughs> like, there's a part of me that as an adult, I'm like, well, they don't love each other. You know, maybe it's like good that they haven't said it after four years, but like, let's get real. Catherine Applegate, esteemed author of the Making Out series, or at least the first eight books before she turned it over to a ghostwriter. Come on, like, this is what kids do. Like, they're experiencing these feelings for the first time. And understandably, like, it's a quick thing to be like, I love you. Like, I love ya. I love you. Like, all the different versions. Yeah, or just to be surprised. You know, I think he, he says it to her at one point, and he's talking about when they get married. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that that ties into the small town. They live on this little island off of Maine mentality that the the book has and kind of embraces, I think, throughout the whole series is that, you know, they are this little group that lives on this island off the coast of Maine. But yeah, that was definitely a a shock to me rereading it because I don't think I remembered that aspect of it where like they were so they were together and everyone was like you're perfect but they were kind of surprised to be in love with each other and you know she was really shocked to have him talk about marriage which I think most girls would be to their 17 year old boyfriend saying we're gonna get married after high school but yeah I mean I just think the title feels like a mismatch with what's kind of going on because I do and and I think it's to be provocative like you were saying like it's a great marketing ploy fools around like makes a lot of teens probably want to open it up and see what it's about. But again, if if we're sticking to the way that I understand the phrase fooling around, which again is a phrase that I'm like not quite sure that I love because I think it suggests some slut shaming and like maybe some sex negativity. She's not even doing like she makes out with Lucas one time. I think what Zoe is really doing is like questioning everything. Like the, the more appropriate title of this book would be like Zoe questions the nature of her life. as a teenager, which is very intense and a very different book. But I just I kept waiting for the part of the book where I was like, okay, now like now she's gonna fool around. Now she's gonna fool around. And she never really does. Yeah, she she doesn't. And her attraction to Lucas is is so interesting, because it's not explained, really, she's just kind of has it. So that was kind of an interesting thing, too, is, and I'm sure I don't remember all 28 books. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they're together for for a bit, if not the whole time. I'm sure it's explored later, but it's just kind of this interesting thing where, like, she's just drawn to this person and we're just supposed to say, okay, yes, you're drawn to this person. And that's the plot of the book. And you kind of have to suspend your disbelief as to why, because it's not really explained why. And I think she kind of says, like, I have no idea why I like this person. I've been with Jake forever. But yeah, it that I think that's also another key thing that's missing is why why is Zoe fooling around? <laughs> right. Why are you fooling around? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to the end of the book and it occurred to me that we hadn't really gotten to know Lucas very well. And listeners, in my, you know, OC metaphor, Lucas is the Ryan Atwood of this crew. Like he's kind of coming back after being gone for a while. He has this very traditional bad boy vibe going. But I guess we should talk a little bit more about what's actually happening in this book and set it up for our listeners because I do think that 
I do think that it's a smaller contingent of people who have read this series. So Casey mentioned the setting, which I think is really interesting and an important part of the setup for this book and probably one of my favorite elements of it. Uh, It takes place on this island off the coast of Maine, as you mentioned, and there's only 300 people that live on the island year round. It's really mostly a tourist destination. And so when we meet the characters, it's the end of the summer, they're going back to school And so all the tourists are leaving and they're getting back to this like very core group of people that live there. They like refer to themselves as the islanders. There aren't that many kids that live there. The vast majority of the people who live there are adults who are like working and like trying to keep the island going um, in the off season. And they have to take a ferry just to get to school. And it creates this really interesting dynamic because we meet like a small group of teens. I think there's like eight or nine of them. And they're like really all that each other has. Like they take the ferry to school on the mainland every day. There's only a couple of them from this very small community that go to this bigger high school on the mainland. They're very loyal to each other. It's sort of like loyalty to the islanders above everything else, which is cool. And I just think the choice to set it in this kind of like isolated location, first of all, it lends itself to really cool description. Like I just loved reading about this little town and it made me want to live there. It almost had this like stars hollow sentiment of like this town where everybody knows each other. And I don't know, you've lived there your whole life. And so you kind of like know everything that's going on. It lends itself to a lot of gossip, which works really well in this plot. And I just, I think it's a really interesting thing to think about like this very small group of teens relying on each other so much because when they go to school there's only so many of them that actually like understand what it's like to live their life yeah and and interesting like they're all pretty much the same age so you know did all all of these people (laughs) just live on this island and you know they they grew up and it's almost like a generational thing right like their parents Mm. must have grown up together and then they all had kids at the same time and now that's what these kids are planning on doing I guess yeah it is and it's different I think than like a lot of the tv shows because when you were talking a little bit I was thinking like well is it kind of like Cape Side or is it kind of like One Tree Hill but it's really not because even though those are small towns these kids are inclusive of themselves on their island and then they go to this big school and they don't have other friends yeah so it's it's even this like element removed from like a small town story they don't have other friends it seems like uh at their school even though it's this huge school and i think there's even a part where there's one character aisha who only moved there like a year or two ago and like it took them like a year to like you know bring her into the group i'm like could you imagine like why didn't she have other friends like at school and then if they make friends but then they get initiated to the group do they just like drop those friends Yeah, I mean, they seem just kind of like removed from the rest of teen society. Like I think Claire is a good example. Claire is like the hot girl on the island, like the popular, pretty, rich girl. And I found myself wondering, like, is she like hot within like the school, like the larger school social structure as well? Or do they just kind of stick to their own social hierarchy within the Islanders and they don't even like think about other people at school. It kind of seems that way. And I want to talk a little bit more about Aisha before we get into like the main storyline, which is Zoe and her like love triangle that she's in. Because I think that Aisha is really interesting character. And it was an interesting choice, I think, for the author to include Aisha. And Aisha is a black character. And I was sort of impressed by the degree to which this author explored race in this book. I don't think that this was the norm in 1994. I think it says a lot that she was aware of the fact that by like, 
making the choice to set a book not only in Maine, but on like an island in Maine, she was sort of going to have to contend with some race stuff because Maine is notoriously a white state and like let alone a small island of 300 people. And I think it was sort of before her time for Catherine Applegate to really address head on, like in a very explicit way, like Aisha talking about the fact that she had a hard time integrating into the island because she was like the only black person she knew there. And she was like really happy to be accepted, but she was ultimately like only really accepted by the other kids on the island because the kids on the mainland were like not being nice to her because she was black. Like they weren't necessarily being welcoming and inclusive to her on their own. And she suspected that there was some racism at play and they only really like wanted to hang out with her when they realized that the mainland kids were excluding her. So I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's like not perfect certainly, but I think that I was just like impressed by the fact that the author went there. Like she even explores this idea that there's a black boy who's about their age named Christopher, who's also relatively new to the island. And there's this like assumption around town that like Aisha and Christopher should date just because they're both black. And I thought that that was like pretty cool that she talked about that so openly. I think there are moments that I felt like Aisha was tokenized a little bit. But again, for 1994, I have to hand it to her. Yeah, and I think that the book tackles a lot of different character situations like that. You know, and and it's interesting, too, because when it comes to Christopher, like, Aisha also is kind of like, you can't be in our group yet because you're new, even though that was done to her. So I really thought that was interesting how quickly, like, that became her norm. And, uh, but yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting that it was addressed and it was addressed directly, not in any sort of, you know, passive way. Um, And then you have Ben, who's blind. And, uh, you know, that he's, he's a big character. I know, I think book three or four is his, one of his books. So, you know, they all kind of get a spotlight. I know Aisha has her own books too. So. And there's an argument to be made again, that this kind of rep is like a little bit tokenizing, but I would argue that like, there's only 300 people on this island and there's only like eight kids in this friend group. So to have one kid representing different groups that are often marginalized in literature, especially in the 80s and 90s, like that's pretty cool. So Catherine Applegate, great. Happy <laughs> to see it. Love to see it. Um, but let's talk about Zoe. Zoe Passmore is really our uh, our main character. Obviously, Zoe Fools Around is the title. And Casey, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how it felt to you to get acquainted with Zoe again. I'm not sure what your relationship to her was when you were a kid, like how much you maybe resonated with her and just how it felt to like get back in touch for this reread. Well, I will say resonating with her as a 12-year-old that I was not dating or fooling around. <laughs> I got it. Um, I got it. So it was kind of a fun, you know, this is a, a interesting character, teenage character. I love the name Zoe. And this is where I guess I first encountered it really. I, like after these books, like I think every character I wrote until like forever was named Zoe. I even have a Zoe in the book that I'm working on right now. That's amazing. When I was a kid, my, um, because I, I wrote always, I've always written. And my name that I used 
because I do, I feel like this is a thing for kid writers. Like you pick a name. All of my heroines were named Jenna for a really long time. And then my parents ended up naming my little sister Jenna. So then I had oh. to stop. <laughs> oh, that would do it. Yes. My first yeah, car was, was named Zoe. Uh, you know, so Zoe was like my name for for the longest time. So I'm, I'm like determined that one of my published books one day will like actually have a Zoe as a main character. That will happen eventually. That would be a bit like a cool moment, full circle. I have to say my my initial reaction picking this book up again was whose idea was this handwriting font? Because oh it was so hard to read. So hard to read. Why is it so difficult to read? And I had just finished reading a Babysitter's Club book for the podcast. And so like, it's possible to have like fake handwriting in a book and have it be legible. Like all of the babysitters, you can read their writing. It was very hard to read pretty much all of the handwriting in this book. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because it's like a smaller book or if it if it's just that it's a strange font to read because it's like a handwriting script font and you don't see a lot of that in fiction today. But I was like, oh my gosh, this is super hard to read. Like I had to like have the book like right up to my face trying to read it. Yeah, maybe we're just getting old. Maybe I know, I was gonna say, it made me feel a little old. <laughs> but I, I just, I like Zoe. I think she's probably the best entry for this series, which is probably why the first book starts with her because she is kind of an, an every teen. She's got that long-term boyfriend. She's got the kooky parents. I felt a little bit like she somehow was the glue that held the group together. And I'm not sure if that's just because we meet her first. Right. Um, or if that was intentional. But yeah, so I really enjoyed her because she could kind of be anyone. She didn't have enough quirks to make it so that you couldn't that anyone really couldn't identify with her, which I think is really good to have as your starting protagonist. And then, yeah, I mean, she's just fun. And then you kind of like, you open with this flashback on Lucas's last day on the island before he goes to juvie. And it opens with, you know, Jake, even two years before, still kind of being his horndog teenage self. And then she like has this moment with Lucas and and then you're just in it and then it's back and Lucas is back in town and everything's falling apart. And Zoe is so confused, I think, throughout so much of it because she's obviously has this pull to Lucas that she doesn't understand. And she wants to like Jake, but she's also feeling like maybe he's not the best boyfriend for her anymore, even though she kind of won't admit that. So it was like really great because I felt like it was now reading it as an adult having been a teenager and had a first love and all of that like it felt like such the normal teenage experience in this really weird not normal way because they were like you know eight teens on an island and that's all you got those are all your options no i think those are all really good points i think zoe is a fascinating like every teen choice to uh sort of introduce us to this little society she really plays into that trope of like the girl who just wants to get out like she lives in this small town she has bigger aspirations she wants to maybe go to ucla or usc like she really wants to just like blow town yeah and start somewhere else which does not seem to be the way most of the other kids feel like i would assume we learn more about that in future books but it doesn't really seem like most of the other kids except christopher who's working like 19 jobs to go to college like the other kids seem pretty content to stay like jake definitely sort of i think envisions living his parents life all over again and like staying around yeah having a family on the island but zoe like wants to leave 
I would say in retrospect, like looking back at it now, Zoe is definitely um, a Joey Potter. Mm, mm-hmm, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of that trope of the, you know, the the smart girl. And, and I, I think actually if you read the book and then you probably watch season one and maybe three of Dawson's Creek, it's a lot of the same type of situations, I think. But I, I definitely, I mean, Joey wasn't in existence when these were written, but she's definitely what I would call it, you know, a Joey Potter character. Yeah, I would also liken Zoe to um, Haley James on One Tree Hill a little bit. Although I think, a little I bit. think at least season one, Haley, like before Nathan kind of like ties her down and then she's like, fine, I'll live in One Tree Hill forever. But I think just in terms of her perceptions of things and her academic interests, and uh, maybe her romantic side, like there are some, there are some Haley shades of Haley to her a little bit. There's a little bit of Haley in there, and and Haley James Scott is like my favorite teen character ever, ever, and like you know Naley's my OTP. So yeah, I I could see early season Haley, like early early season one Haley in there a little bit. Yeah, a little Peyton too, because there's a little bit of like angst, a little bit of like what else is out there. Unrelated, I don't know if you've listened to the new One Tree Hill recap podcast. Started but it, you yeah. Really should. It's so, it's honestly like the best recap podcast I've listened to in a long time. I've already expressed my discontent with the OC recap podcast. I think it has a lot of room to grow, but the One Tree Hill recap podcast, Drama Queens, is really good. Yeah. I listened to the pilot. I listened to about a uh, half of the pilot before, you know, my daughter was around or I had a work meeting or something. Before you were living your life. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, it was great. And it's always so fun to go back to them because One Tree Hill was really my show because I wasn't I wasn't allowed to watch Dawson's Creek when it was on. I was reading Making Out, but I was not allowed to watch Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah, well, books are easier to sneak in. We talk about that sometimes on the show. So yeah, I think Zoe has that every girl quality. I am fascinated by Jake because Jake is just, I feel like there's a Jake in every single piece of teen content, whether it's a book, a movie, or a TV show between like 1985 and 2005. Like he's just this all-American guy. He like plays sports. He loves his mom. He has like this very like traditional kind of family. There's not necessarily anything like bad about him but I'm not especially like drawn to him either and in this book we have this added layer of there's just like a lot of like boys will be boys bs and it all (laughs) just like circles around Jake who as you mentioned like total horn dog all that he can talk and think about and the only like jokes that he makes around Zoe relate to them having sex or doing things that would like get them closer to having sex yeah, and I think he's also, you know, and I, I, it's hard to say because I haven't read the other books for quite a while. But in this book, he's kind of the antagonist, even though he's the one being cheated on. You know, because you're you're in a way for some reason meant to sympathize with Lucas, even before you get to the end where you kind of find out like the big secret, right? Right. That he actually didn't do what he went to juvie for. Jake is definitely like an antagonist. He is kind of bothering Zoe and he's on this crusade to have everybody hate Lucas. 
But at the same time, he thinks Lucas killed his brother. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of justified in what he's doing. But when you read the book, you get this sense that like he's the bad guy. And I think that's actually a really interesting take because obviously Lucas is, I guess, the love interest, but that you were meant to side with someone who you think caused this accident and is stealing someone else's girlfriend. And you do, you sympathize with him. Like you want him to be with Zoe. Like the whole time you're reading it, you're like, yes, get together. You know, so that in a way, I guess is really good writing because, you know, you really don't like Jake and really all the things Jake is doing are sort of justifiable when you get to the end. You know, you're like, okay, well, he's kind of making sense, but, uh, you know, from his perspective, and then you find out that he was wrong and everybody was wrong, but that's not really addressed to like really the very end of the book. Yeah. I mean, I would say that Jake is like totally rational. Like, I don't know that he's right. I don't know that he's like good or likable, but he's rational. Everything that he's doing and thinking seems fair to me. So listeners for a little bit of context, when we meet these characters, Casey referred to this flashback that the book starts with where Lucas is going off to the youth authority, which is like a reform school. And, um, this is happening because he has he has pled guilty to, I guess, vehicular manslaughter of some sort because he supposedly, allegedly, was driving <laughs> a car drunk and the other passengers in the car were Claire, who at the time he was dating or they were like really into each other, and Jake's brother, Wade. And Lucas emerged from the accident without any injuries. Claire got a concussion and hurt her wrist and doesn't really remember anything. And Wade was killed. And so Lucas pled guilty. He's going to this youth authority and nobody's speaking to him. He's been totally isolated by the whole community. And Zoe's the only one who even like says goodbye to him. And she gives him her ice cream and then they kiss before he leaves. So two years later, Lucas is now spotted again. He's back and it's causing all of this upheaval within the social groups because Jake is like so angry that he's back. He wants to ice him out. He like really doesn't want him to be granted any like kindness really, even though he's back and he's done his time. Because again, like as we've been talking about, like as far as Jake knows, Lucas killed his brother. Lucas is the reason that his brother was killed in this accident. So yeah, to be fair, like I would feel that way too. I don't think that I would be able to look that person in the face. I don't think that I would want my friends to be nice to that person, especially when you're a kid. Like these people are in high school. Like they're not evolved to a point where they can like even consider like any form of forgiveness. And I don't really know how you forgive that anyway. Like you're a bigger person than I am if you can like forgive somebody in that situation. Yeah. And it's definitely an interesting situation that they start the series on this kind of big thing for these kids to be dealing with and you know jake from from his perspective he's like zoe like you're my girlfriend and you knew my brother and why are you not on my side so it would almost be interesting to read the book from jake's perspective (laughs) yeah for sure Yeah, I would like that. So there's a couple of interesting dynamics that are now at play. So Lucas is back and Zoe is like really interested that he's back. Like she's kind of looking for opportunities to see him. She's like sneaking around a little bit. I don't know that I'd say she's fooling around, but she's sneaking around (laughs) trying to like catch a glimpse. And they have a couple of weird interactions. 
early on that made me not so sure that I like him, even though I know that the author wants me to like him. Like he says something to her, which again, it's like so 90s where he says to Zoe like, oh, you look good. Like I always remember you being skinny. It's like what you're trying to say, Lucas, in 1994 speak is like she got boobs. Like that's what you're (laughs) saying. And I don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate that you're talking about this with her. You have not seen her in two years. Yeah. And he's like had her picture. He cut out of a newspaper like up in his cell, you know, and then it and I mean, it's all a matter of perspective, right? Like this kid, we find out, you know, he basically admitted to something he didn't do because he was in love with Claire. Mm-hmm. Claire did and, it, everyone. Claire yeah, spoiler was, alert. was driving. Spoiler, and Claire's Claire's dad, who was like the wealthiest guy in town, was kind of able to make it go away. He was able to convince Lucas to plead guilty. And because Claire had a concussion, she couldn't remember any of what happened. And she just like assumed that what her dad and what Lucas and what everybody else said had happened was what had happened. So yeah, Claire's responsible and Lucas took the heat for it. Yeah, you know, so he's really by himself in this at this place. And, uh, you know, Zoe was the one person who was nice to him. So he, you know, he sees, I guess, a paper from back home and he keeps her picture. So, you know, for Lucas, when he really gets there, he's like all in like about Zoe. Right. And if you if it was a TV show, that would be, you know, I guess maybe Nathan and Haley, right? Like Nathan puts on, you know, the hard press. And I feel like Lucas kind of does that a little bit, too. Like, he tries to give her an out, like, you shouldn't hang out with me, and it's okay if you don't talk to me in school. (laughs) But, like, what is she going to do? Like, she's just going to ignore him? Yeah, I mean, Zoe does kind of find herself in this situation where she has two boys that are, like, kind of telling her what to do and also what not to do in a way that's very confusing. So she has Jake, who's basically, like... Claire and I have decided that nobody will be talking to Lucas. Like Claire and Jake are calling the shots and they're also crushing on each other. So that makes things a little bit complicated. And Zoe like kind of sees what's happening between them. Like there's clear chemistry between Claire and Jake. And I also, let me just say like props to us for keeping all of these names, right? Because there's a lot of them and I don't think either of us have like misstepped on any of them. So great job, Casey. Um, (laughs) So... That's what she's hearing from Jake. And Jake definitely has like this like toxic masculinity, like aggro thing going where like anytime he sees Lucas, he's like, you want to fight me? Like that's kind of how he's handling his rage. Yes. And then there's Lucas who is like, he's, I would liken him a little bit more to like a Lucas Scott. Like he's like gentle and he's like, it's okay. He's like more romantic. He's like, I was looking at your picture when I was in reform school, which like, I agree, creepy, like not dreamy. I think the author wanted us to think that it was dreamy. And I was like, no, like, it's not as though she sent him a picture. He like found it, cut it out and then hung it up. And it was like a picture from like, I don't remember exactly what it, it was like a student government photo or something. Yeah. Or like a science fair or some, yeah. some school event that she won. Some academic thing. And then he's like, I'm really happy to see you. Like you're not skinny anymore, but also like, I don't want you to cause trouble. Like you don't have to talk to me. And like, what is a girl to do? What is a girl who loves romance novels, especially to do? Oh yeah. I thought it was really funny that she was trying to write a romance novel. Yeah. Like over and over the same chapter. Yes. (laughs) You know, you mentioned that like Claire and Jake team up. And I thought that was really interesting too, because Claire is dating Zoe's older brother, Ben. Yes. And they've been together for like a year, I think. Again, and Claire clearly just wants Jake. And 
it's so interesting how easily the alliances in the book change. And Nina, who is Claire's younger sister, has a crush on Ben. Right. And Ben figured out that Claire was driving. And he totally tells people, like, he rats out his girlfriend. Right. And is, like, not even, like, concerned that she is, like, throwing herself at Jake. So that was all also really an interesting kind of dynamic of, like, they're all dating each other because they think they don't have a choice. But they... Right. It... it <laughs> It was very interesting. Well, apparently they believe that like you have to be dating somebody in high school. Like you don't like you just have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You have to be dating. And then you can only date somebody within your community. Like there's a lot of rules that these eight people are operating under. But now that you say that, like it is kind of wild that Ben knew he had put the pieces together that Claire was responsible for the accident, presumably like a long time ago. And he does ultimately rat her out. But for the vast majority of their relationship, like he knew that she was the one who had been driving the car and just like, I guess, kept it to himself because he loved her. But it's very interesting. And I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about Ben as a character and sort of the way he was like used in the story a little bit, because um, we don't really get the details of this. But I guess when he was 12 years old, he had some sort of virus or something that took or no, he had a stroke. I think he had a tumor or a stroke. That's what Wikipedia told me because it's not in the book. He had a stroke or a brain tumor, and that's why he is now blind when we meet him in the book. And there's a lot of of talk both from Ben himself and then also like about Ben from other characters about how like because he's blind, he has had to like develop other kinds of tools to navigate the world. And like it's made him like more wise. And there was something about that that like made me feel a little weird. And I don't quite know how to describe it. It felt almost like it was like glamorizing what had happened to him. And I, I I appreciate the rep. Like I appreciate that he as a visually impaired blind person is playing such a major role that he has a girlfriend. Like he has this like very cool life. Like people like him. He's funny. He's smart. He's cool. But I don't know. There was something about the fact that like his lack of ability to see like somehow made him like magical in a way that he could see things that other people couldn't see that just like weirded me out. And maybe I was thinking too hard about it, but it I went back and forth. Yeah. He's an interesting character. And I think you find out more about him and his eyesight and what happened in later books. He was an interesting character. And I think the dynamics they set up around him were pretty interesting. Like his girlfriend's younger sister reads to him. Yeah, Nina, who yeah. I, and that's probably how she developed a crush on him because they're spending all this time together reading. Yeah, and and Nina is also Zoe's best friend, so it's very, a very like interconnected little group. Yes, they're all dating each yeah. other, each other or each other's siblings, I guess. Yeah, and then each other again. Somehow it all comes back to these eight. Which kids. I mean, I guess yeah, I guess that's kind of normal, like in small yeah. towns. This is just a a, mall, a smaller small town, yeah. I guess. You know, we all dated the same people in middle school and high school. Yeah, I guess it rings true too. Like when I was in middle school and high school, I was part of like a bigger friend group that was like a mix of guys and girls. There were probably like 10 of us. And the people who were dating within that group, they were all just like dating each other. Like there were so many different combinations and permutations of the people in our group. So I guess that is that does ring true. But we did eventually outgrow it. Like eventually you do have to like seek people outside of the group. And these these kids are seniors in high school. So I don't think that they're going to change it up anytime soon. Yeah. 
I did find it interesting too, because you would think, I mean, I grew up in a, in a, a pretty small town. Um, you know, there were 80 kids in my graduating class and I knew most of them since kindergarten. I would say probably like 90% of them I knew since kindergarten. So you would think that they would want to date people who weren't on the island, right? Because that's like your like core circle who you're with all the time. So that's also a really interesting aspect of the book is that they do want to be, you know, excluded from the rest of their peers. It seems like a real cultural kind of thing. Like I'm making up a lot of things here, but... I imagine that on this island, like their parents are very proud to be islanders and to be like self-sufficient in a way that maybe people on the mainland don't have to be. And they rely on each other in this very small community. And like that maybe is something that they take a lot of pride in. And so they've passed that on to their children in this next generation. Like mainlanders wouldn't understand like what it's like to weather the winters here, which they probably wouldn't. Like, I think that life here sounds like really hard when it's not the summertime. They have to take a ferry anytime they want to do anything. And there are only like five ferries they can take throughout the day. Like their whole life runs based on the ferry schedule. And it's probably really cold and miserable in the winter and very isolated. And so, yeah, like, I feel like maybe there's just this culture on the island of like, why would we want to date people who don't understand us and like can't appreciate what we go through? as islanders but i do think that's a good point yeah it would probably be hard i guess to date someone who you could only get to on the ferry yeah that would be exhausting uh that wouldn't be easy so as the book wraps up i it's so i honestly kind of want to read the second one because there are a lot of things that are like left undone so lucas and zoe do ultimately have a pretty steamy makeout just one but it is pretty steamy And I have to say, that is, like, the scene I remember from this series. I think because she's, like, in a pajama shirt. Nice. (laughs) And she's, like, not wearing (laughs) pants. And I was like, oh, you know, you're 12. You're, like, make out with someone in, like, just a shirt. Okay. Right. And, like, your dad's Um, old t-shirt. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. But that is the scene. That, for me, is, like, what I remember about this book series. And and I was waiting for it. And I was like, oh, I don't think I remembered. It was, like, the very last scene. Yeah. So they make out. They get McDonald's, which was, like, Lucas's big wish after getting out of the Youth Authority. So she, she makes that happen for him. A lot of the secrets have been revealed. So we now, it's kind of out in the open now that Jake and Claire have a thing for each other. It's like, it's becoming more open. And um, it's also becoming more clear that Nina has a thing for Ben. So that's new information. And then we also, of course, have this huge twist about who is actually responsible for the car accident. And I, I have to say, like, I was I was genuinely surprised by that twist. Like, I, I kind of saw coming that maybe it had been Wade who was driving. And that's kind of what Claire thought at first as she was working through all of this in her head. But then we find out that it was actually Claire who was driving and all of this stuff comes out about her dad who was, like, helping hide it. And that's really juicy. So we learn that. And then in the very, like, final pages – we learn that Lucas's dad is trying to have him sent away because he comes from this like very traditional family. I think his dad's like, they talk a lot about his dad's Portuguese heritage. Or well, I guess his dad, I think it was from Portugal. So much is made of Lucas's Portuguese heritage and like this very hard line that his dad is taking against what Lucas has supposedly done. And so as we say goodbye to Zoe and Lucas, she's like heartbroken that he's going to be leaving her after she's fooled around on Jake. So yeah, I'm like kind of 
I'm kind of curious to see what happens next. What did you think of the ending, Casey? Uh, well, I, I, like I said, it's, it's the scene that really stayed with me. So I really, I like the ending. I think it's a great setup for a series. I did want to read book two, but I, I waited because I wanted to make sure I didn't have any prior knowledge of book two while we were talking about book one more than I already had, like in my brain, but no, I like it. And interesting that it all kind of comes together so quickly, like so much is set up in the in the last pages, I think, for each of the characters. So it, it it's done pretty well, I think, in how it, it brings it all together. I think by the end, you really are rooting for Zoe and Lucas. Like, I think she's made her decision, even though she hasn't yet had a chance to break up with Jake. But I also think that I wonder how hard of a sell that would be today because I know people are a little not fans of cheating in romance books yeah I mean this whole I think you there's an argument to be made that she's having like an emotional affair for most of the book because she's like imagining Lucas and thinking a lot about what their relationship could be like so even though she doesn't like physically cheat on Jake until the end yeah I mean it's definitely sensitive I wonder I wonder how people would read it today you know, I think for me, I, I don't think I thought much about it when I was reading it as a teenager, but I mean, I was 12. Right. <laughs> so I think, you know, you're just reading this book because it's interesting and it's capturing your attention and you want to know how these characters are all going to play out. But yeah, no, I mean, I like it. I I had a lot of fun rereading it as an adult. <laughs> I had a lot of fun reading it for the first time as an adult. How do you think it holds up? overall like do you think that it holds up in 2021 how does it compare now to your memories of it from when you were a kid I think it still had all of the same stuff that I loved in it from when I was a kid I think what's most interesting to me is how much I felt like I could see how it influenced my writing in a way and how the tropes are are in there and you know there's all of this drama and I can see how that helped feed into what I was writing as a teenager and kind of helped form some of the stuff that you know I write now as I write romance novels even go you know even though it was so long ago that's so cool I love to hear that that's kind of fun um I did want to read book two and I just I think if people read enough of it to get past kind of that the different tone of you know the third person I think people would like it. It doesn't have cell phones, which I thought was a little more obvious than in in some other older books because they like didn't know where each other were and they couldn't get in touch with each other. So that was really an interesting thing to read back to, especially like with the fairies and like, it was just different. Yeah, I was reading a blog post written by a book blogger who I who I think had revisited the books after the 2015 reissue. And um, they were commenting on the lack of technology and the decision not to integrate any new technology in the reissues. And they talked about how like they didn't really mind it only because they all live in such close proximity to each other anyway, that they didn't really feel like it was necessary. But they were joking about how I guess they swapped out. I guess the editors swapped out some of the like pop culture references to be more representative of like 2015 culture. And the blogger was joking about like, 
how no kid like thinks about One Direction as much as the kids in the 2015 reissues think about One Direction. Like that was one of the touchstones that they decided to use. So that was kind of funny. That's weird because I don't even think they mention a band in the book. I know. Like, I know. I don't really know where that would have happened. I was going to say, I don't think there was too much pop culture in these books to begin with. Yeah, maybe they added it in just to seem trendy and like with the times. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it, it didn't affect my reading. Like I wasn't like, why don't they have cell phones? But it, it lends itself to situations that I don't think like would happen today. Like how she kind of like is trying to find Jake and then she like yeah. walks in on him in the shower. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I think obviously like social media would have added a whole other layer to these kids very tangled lives. But I might just I might I might read the next book later this summer. It seems like like a perfect beach read potentially but um other than zoe fools around casey what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our ssr community i have been reading bridgerton <laughs> nice i i read the duke and i and i right after i actually reread zoe fools around i read the viscount who loves me and they are so fun i have really only got into historical fiction last year with bringing down the duke but i'm having a lot of fun reading all of those series. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I just finished The Good Luck Term by Helena Hunting, um, which is really good on audio. And I'm listening to The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. So I'm kind of in a in a romance zone at the moment, but I'm also uh, have a bunch of YA books on my TBR. I'm reading um, Grace and Glory by Jennifer Armentrout, which is the third book in the Harbinger trilogy. Um, I have The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson up next, and I'm super excited. And then I just bought Shadow and Bone, the trilogy, all of them to read, because I watched it on Netflix, and I was like, I need to read the books now. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a good list, a good stack of books, and I will include links to all of them in the show notes for this episode. And speaking of romance and the romance stretch, the romance uh, the romance kick that you're on, let's talk a little bit about your book out now, When We Are 30. What can you tell listeners about what they can expect if they pick it up? Sure. Uh, when We're 30 is the story of Will and Hannah, who are two college best friends who decide to follow through on a pack they made to get married if they were both still single when they turned 30. Of course, on her birthday, uh, well, the day after her birthday, he shows up at her door with a ring. Uh, and she's kind of like, why are you here? Like, she can't really believe it. And they decide to get married and they do it in five days. And then things get complicated, as they do <laughs> when you get married in five days on a whim. It is such a good premise. I am so into it. And listeners, as this episode is coming at you, you're still in the thick of summer reading. And, and When We're 30 sounds especially perfect for summer reading. So get yourself a copy. Casey, it has been so much fun having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. And I thank you for introducing me to this wild universe of the boyfriends, girlfriends, slash making out, slash Islanders universe. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. So fun. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. 
Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.